This is the Atlanta Small Business Show with Jim Fitzpatrick. Hi, everyone. Jim Fitzpatrick. Thanks so much for joining me on today's show. We are joined today by Dr. Tomas Chamorro Premizic, who is a psychologist, author, and entrepreneur, as well as a well-known speaker. He has recently written an article, How to Combat Racism at Work. Doctor, thanks so much for joining us on today's show. Thank you for having me. Sure. So uh, let's kind of jump right in here. You wrote an article recently, How to Combat Racism at Work. How is prejudice developed? Well, it starts very early in life, right? So nobody is born prejudiced, but us kids were actually taught to be more prejudiced by well-meaning parents and adults who really tried to help us categorize or classify the world between things that are good and evil. And so one of the paradoxes of the human brain is that the same processes or capabilities that enabled us to reason and make logical inferences actually make us prejudiced because we very quickly learn to generalize and treat individuals as members of a certain class and to categorize those classes as good or bad. Sure, sure. It's, it's almost a situation where it's, it's, it sounds like it's impossible to raise a child that doesn't have some prejudice in their life, right? That is true because that child wouldn't be able to reason in a way it would be he or she would be unable to generalize, uh, you know, but just the thought, the mere thought of having to evaluate any situation from scratch out of the blue without actually uh, including or incorporating our past experience or previous knowledge would make the world impossible to live in. Having said that, we should be raising kids to not discriminate based right. on their prejudice. And, you know, you can still raise kids to be civilized, humane, kind, caring, and altruistic, which is how you make for a better society. That's right. Sure. And uh, what is the difference between prejudice and racism? So typically, prejudice is the attitude component of, uh, let's say, a stereotype. So your prejudice towards someone means you hold a negative attitude towards them, usually because they're part of a group or a class. But that doesn't mean that you're going to engage in behaviors that discriminate, right? With racism, it bridges both worlds because we talk about racist prejudice, which means that you believe that somebody is inferior because they're a member of a group. But racist uh, discrimination means you're actually acting on the basis of those attitudes. And I, 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 I am pretty convinced that the best we can achieve in the workplace and a society is not to eliminate prejudice attitudes, but to get people to behave in ways that are pro-social, altruistic, even if they have some inherent prejudice that actually make them feel that they're superior to somebody else. You can still contain that, inhibit that, and, and create behaviors that are more pro-social in the workplace and in the world in general. Sure, sure. Um, why are certain groups and organizations and, and societies less prejudiced than others? Well, you know, culture is the key, uh, both at the organizational and at the national or societal level. Uh, some cultures are more open-minded. Typically, they're more educated. Um, they, um, you know, are raised or grow up to develop uh, more empathetic, pro-social, agreeable, kind, and altruistic attitudes. And really, uh, they're less self-centered, less egotistical. Uh, 
typically they're more likely to be collectivistic than individualistic. And, you know, there is a whole range of conflating issues here whereby higher education leads to lower inequality and uh, higher resources and, uh, you know, you learn to be more tolerant. At the organizational level, how open-minded, altruistic and uh, kind or humane the leaders are, the most senior members of those organizations, is probably the single most impactful factor in driving how open-minded and unprejudiced the rest of the organization will be. So it, it cascades or trickles down. Yeah. Why do we bring prejudice into the workplace? Well, you know, there is a, an, an adaptive and even pro-social element of that, which is that it enables us to connect with others and to create in-groups which don't exist. But if I'm gossiping with you and I'm bonding with you, one of the ways in which I can actually achieve that is by saying, hey, we're not like those people. We're different and we're <laughs> superior. So we can right. bond and, you know, uh, and, and create an in-group. Uh, at the same time, you know, there is an inherent individual psychological need to feel better about ourselves and boost our own egos and self-esteem. So the easiest way to achieve that, unfortunately, is to bring other people down. That's right. why we're so tribalist and so protective of our prejudice, because if you persuade me that I was wrong to be prejudiced against a group, then suddenly I can't think of myself as, as positively as I was before. Sure. So how does this impact business? How does this affect business? Well, it's interesting, right? Because uh, I think we're at a time where a lot of organizations uh, are faced with uh, uh, not just having to make statements and speak up to the issue, but actually revise and reassess their own policies. Because if you let things uh, happen or flow in a free way, for sure, prejudice will rise and emerge. So you need to be very, very active when it comes to containing it and sanctioning it. And the best way to do it is practice what you preach, create or instill a climate of integrity, respect and fairness and have leaders in place who actually behave in non-prejudiced ways. Of course, organizations need to monitor their HR and talent management processes so that there's no prejudice or there's as little prejudice as possible in their recruitment, in their selection, in their promotion. And they need to try to sanitize politics so that you know they have a meritocratic and fair society and organizational culture. Yeah, and uh, and and what if what if your leadership shows prejudice? Well, you know, if the leadership of the organization shows prejudice, it will send the message that prejudice is legitimized, accepted, and fine. You know, which right. uh, you know will unfortunately make it replicate and uh, kind of a. Uh, be augmented in that organization and the same happens at the level of societies yeah for sure and and it would wreak havoc on the culture of that company if it's not kept in check or or actually eliminated right correct so you know leaders in a way are role models they take uh, they are the adult equivalent of our parents when we're kids and people look to their leaders for uh, examples and etiquette and uh, values that need to shape their own values. And uh, um, so, you know, we don't automatically always copy what leaders are doing. And there's always variety among the leaders of a system or organization. Uh, but good behaviors are contagious and bad behaviors are contagious too. That's right. All too often we'll see a, uh, a leadership team being made up of all of the same type of individuals, you know, whether it be all white males or, you know, all uh, African-Americans or what have you. And uh, 
do you do you see where that can take place and and the danger in that in companies? Yes. So you know, it's a, it's a very delicate and interesting and intricate issue because uh, we are pre-wired to get along with people who are more like ourselves. Right. If uh, if you are like me or like myself in terms of attitudes and beliefs. Um, and I like you, it's sort of like a socially acceptable way of liking myself because I say, hey, you know, you're great, by which I mean I am great too. (laughs) And it's interesting that for some time now we have seen uh, medium-sized, especially large-sized organizations try to ramp up their diversity and inclusion policies and be more diverse and be more inclusive. But it is often those same organizations that tell you that they hire on culture fit. And both are incompatible, right? You can't admit somebody or promote someone because they are just like the leadership group or the team that is in charge and simultaneously nurture diversity. If you really want diversity and you want more inclusiveness, you have to accept that people who aren't like you and who think very different from you should also belong and feel and feel valued. Yeah, for sure. How can leaders tackle prejudice or racist behavior in the workplace? Well, the most important thing is that they're actually committed to doing it. There needs to be a genuine will and desire to do it. That's that goes beyond, you know, um, uh, stating that they are in disagreement or upset about certain events like the current event and actually put their money where their mouth is and make decisions that are often going to be uh, tough and difficult decisions. Right. So leaders need to have a combination of empathy and courage. And even if they are not part of the group that is or has historically been affected by prejudice, so if they're part of a majority and they're part of the establishment, let's say middle-aged white male engineers or MBAs from an Ivy League university, they need to owe to the responsibility and accountability that they have to help their organizations and society be a better place. So the will to do it is the most important thing, being open to um, you know other people's opinions and views and have the humility to understand that their view of seeing the world is might not be the correct one right and then uh, build teams that actually help them achieve this and not become a kind of a policing engine that monitors or uh, kind of scans or micromanages people so that they behave properly but truly instill the right values so that people behave in a more open-minded way. Everybody, by the way, has the ability to not be prejudiced if they have the right incentives and if they're in a culture that actually rewards that behavior and sanctions behavior that is more prejudiced and racist. Yeah, makes sense. Um, what, what's your recommendation? What's your advice to companies right now during this racial tension and this, this civil unrest that we, we see in our country? Um, you know, those discussions are often brought into the workplace and at the water cooler or during lunch or what have you. What, what's your recommendation to the leadership of companies and today? Uh, sh- should that be a, a forum in which, you know, that, that, that employees talk about this? And, and if so, uh, should, um, should the managers and leaders take control of that conversation and, and open up the dialogue? Or should they say, hey, we're not going to talk about that right now? So look, you know, I'm under no illusion to be some kind of moral or ethical authority to tell business leaders and organizations what they should do. And it's clear that one size does not, does not fit all. Mm-hmm. But I think it's, it's highly unlikely that the issue can be ignored. You know, right. so my recommendation is to at least discuss it with their executive leadership teams, with their boards, with their senior leadership teams, 
and make a rational and data-driven decision on what the consequences are of ignoring the issue versus sharing it with others. And I think more and more organizations are voicing their views and having a point of view, not just internally, but also externally, because it is a very, very good moment to assess your values and communicate those values to the rest, whatever these values are, right? People at the end of the day want to join organizations that are somewhat congruent with their own values. And right now, employees everywhere are looking at their leaders to see what these values are, because the events um, are so salient that you cannot pretend that nothing is happening, I think. Right. Does a company leader, though, run the risk of uh, losing the engagement of some employees if they say, hey, I'm all for, you know, the president's view on this. We should go in and, and take charge while, you know, another leader may, may tell his company, hey, I'm all for, you know, the, all of the African-Americans and what their, what their cause is and they, it has been an unjust situation. I mean, it seems like you're either on one side or the other and don't you risk losing, you know, the, the hearts and minds of those employees that are on the opposite side of your view? Sure. And, uh, you know, leadership is always about risks, making risks, <laughs> minimizing risks. And uh, fundamentally, leaders should have the good judgment to uh, make accurate or sensible risk assessments of the situation. Right. And let's face it, there's always the possibility of upsetting people, whether you speak or whether you don't speak. Right. Now, I don't think that the issue is necessarily as polarizing as we make it to be or as we are inclined to believe. Right. I think there is there is a possibility for leaders to explain what they agree with, what they don't agree with, and whether their opinions are actually uh, a wider criticism or critique of the government, of the president, of the police, of society. Um, you know, you can be more granular. And I think ultimately people want to see a logical explanation of what the position is, what the beliefs is. And let's face it, if it might be that they don't agree with you, but they still value the transparency, the honesty, and the attempt to make sense of something that is a very delicate situation. And I think nobody should claim that they have the answers. But it's a topic that should be discussed. We're at a point in history where the boundaries between personal life, public life, and work or professional life have been almost eliminated before this crisis and before the pandemic. So this has been the trend for the last 10, 15 years. So leaders need to show what their values are beyond work. And employees also are expected to bring their whole selves to work because you want to have not just employees who clock in and out, but people who are citizens and members of a wider system and society, right? So the deal should be the same for both leaders and employees. Yeah. In your opinion, is it okay for a company to take a stand one way or the other in their social media? Well, uh, by if I think you know the, the first question should be, do they need to take a stand on social media or not? Right. Yeah. And I think my personal opinion is that uh, there are more disadvantages pretending that you don't care about the issue and ignoring the issue mm. uh, than stating what your views are. Okay. Now, uh, if your views go one way or another, I think you know that's uh, you. You have to assume that uh, each company, organization, and leader will have their opinions, their values, and that mostly what they're trying to do when they convey that is align people on those values, right? So that's, I think, where you will find some level of polarization. 
But again, you know, you can't please everyone and you can't also uh, antagonize everyone. You can't assume that if you stay quiet or you sit on the fence, that's going to make you more popular for sure, because you might risk upsetting everyone, you know, people who are expecting you to go one way and the other. That's right. That's right. Um, what do you do with an employee uh, who displays racist behavior? Should they be fired immediately or what do you do in a situation like that? Look, I think that's an HR issue for each organization, right? But uh, if if uh, a, be a behavior or an employee is uh, seen as acting in a racist way, I think, you know, uh, I can't see a single organization where such behaviors today would not be classified as counterproductive work behavior that are a threat to the company cli climate and culture and that actually undermine and decrease the civility uh, and uh, the level of uh, well-being of other employees. So they need to act, you know, and there are legal measures. There are uh, employee sanctions in place that companies will have. Um, you know, how far they want to go in terms of publicizing or making an example of that action, uh, there is a lot of variability here. But, you know, clearly they need to address it. You can't, or at least they should understand that if they don't address it, this will multiply and replicate. So they need to make the decision that they're okay with that. And I don't think today any organization would be okay with this, even if in large organizations it's possibly not feasible to completely suppress all of these behaviors, but they need to try. And ultimately it's not about being perfect, but being better than your competitors and being a better version of yourself and your own culture. They in day out. Yeah, yeah. Today, um, you know, the, the tension is running so high that you could be perceived as being racist just by taking one side or the other. Is that is that true? And that, Look, just, I mean, just by uh, showing, you know, support of one side or the other to say, oh, then you're racist if you're for what the president, you know, is, is, is putting out there. Or do you understand what I mean? I understand you completely. But, you know, this is a very... Um, it's more complicated than people like to see or accept because yeah. there isn't an area in the brain that is called the racist brain or the racist area of the brain. Right. And there are no objective parameters for me to refer to you as a racist or even for me to refer to myself as a racist, right? right. It's a matter of subjective interpretation. Right. People have reputations over the lifespan or in an organization, your colleagues will uh, have an image of you that is quite consistent among them and uh, some people have a reputation for being open-minded uh, pro-social empathetic and tolerant and others develop a reputation for being prejudiced and racist right and uh, i think there is some truth when people see you in a certain way um but you know a lot of the times we point the finger at, at others without looking at ourselves in the mirror. This is a common thing that happens not just with prejudice and racism, but it's a, it's a common habit that people have. You That's know, right. we are much, much quicker at calling others something and accusing others of being something than realizing that we might be just like them. Yep, yep, exactly. How can companies include inclusion in their fabric or their values? Well, again, you know, they have to truly breed it, be committed to it, uh, practice what they preach, put their money where their mouth is. Uh, there is no universal formula for getting it right. It's a long process that requires patience. And fundamentally, it's about uh, not hiring people who are clones of yourself and of each other, not hiring 
for a culture fit and not just tolerating people who are different, but making them feel valued and embrace, you know? So it's understanding that it's a lot easier managing people when they're all the same, because you say one thing and everybody understands it. So it's about embracing the challenges and the difficulties of being a leader in a truly complex world as today. Yeah. How, in, how important is this to the, success, to the overall success of a business today? To, to, to make sure that this area is worked out, that, that you can come to terms and have a peaceful workforce with regard to these kinds of uh, issues. Yeah, so I think having a peaceful workforce is part of the general safety that anybody wants to have. So that's not right. the issue. But if your question is as to whether there is a business case or a return on investment for having a more inclusive or diverse workforce, well, um, there are three levels of analysis here. The first is, whether uh, it creates more profits, more revenues, etc. And we know that if you can manage a diverse workforce better and more effectively, you will have more innovation, more creativity, and more productivity. But diversity alone doesn't work. You need to have diversity with inclusiveness for it to work. The second is, of course, that uh, even if you don't see direct ROI and teams are more productive or more profitable because they're more diverse, your general public is increasingly judging you on what you're doing on these issues, right? So sometimes uh, pro-social behaviors or measures are taken because you don't want to upset their public or because you want to manage your reputation and because you're kind of faking good, but that actually has an ROI on itself. And the third is, of course, that leaving aside the business case, I think a lot of leaders care about social justice. And even though for-profit capitalist organizations are not in the world to make the world a better place, they contribute to it. The values that we have as a society and in a culture are the historical legacy of leaders who influence society via their organizations. Right. So every senior leader in this country and every country is playing their role. It might be a small role, but it accumulates shaping the culture of our society and culture is ever evolving and moving and progressing sometimes also digressing yeah. as a consequence of what leaders do so they're in the driving seat that's right that's right i thank you for all your time today just one last question um in, in your in your personal opinion why do you think this most recent situation with the the loss of george, uh, george floyd has caused such uh such an uproar and and uh and and for to to get so many people together to, you know as a country to say enough's enough why 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 this incident i think there's probably an accumulation of factors right the first is the accumulation of historical cases this isn't the first one and so people might might ask why the reaction now well if you had so many before at some point you know is the last drop that makes the water kind of overflow. Yeah. Secondly, uh, the frustration that a lot of people are experiencing with the lockdown, the crisis, the economic situation. Yeah. And, you know, this creates uh, frustration and anger. So it increases the level, it decreases the level of tolerance. Then uh, the reaction and the rhetoric that is divisive, if you think about the rhetoric we hear and how there is increasing polarization in politics and sides going one way or another. And I think the media does its, does its uh, job or, or role to amplify this, right? So I think these are the four factors really. And uh, I can't see it going away anytime soon. I think we should expect more and the situation will escalate. Really? The, 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 uh, the, the outlook isn't, isn't that, that great in the immediate future, right? 
Well, you know, I think uh, we have an election year as well. So, and it's what, four or five months until the election. So yeah. typically that increases amplified any issues that happen and this should be no exception. Yeah, for sure. Doctor, I want to thank you so much for all the time you've given us here on the show. We very much appreciate it. Our viewers are going to get so much out of your visit here today. So thanks so much. Hopefully we can have you back to talk more about this issue. Anytime. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Thanks for watching Atlanta Small Business Show with Jim Fitzpatrick. This has been a JBF Business Media production.